last week, I, I talked to you about vulnerability as a part of the, the sermon series that we're in, a sermon series called Alive, in which we're looking at really the church and the sorts of things that we can expect to be present within our community because we're not an institution, we're not an organization. The Bible says that we're actually the body of Christ, that there ought to be life and vitality, a transforming presence among us because... The church is Christ to the world, the presence of Christ to our neighbors, to our neighborhoods, to our city. And so because of that, there are certain things that we can expect to be present. And last week, I talked about vulnerability. And and I want to recap very briefly and then give you kind of an update from, from last Sunday. So the way that we defined vulnerability, because some of us sort of think of vulnerability as this nice thing, this thing that I should do. And what we said last week is that vulnerability is actually sort of an ugly reality. It's a part of the human condition that we don't get to choose. We said that vulnerability is being susceptible to physical or emotional injury, susceptible to attack or damage, liable to succumb to persuasion or temptation. There's nothing particularly nice, good about vulnerability. It's a part of our humanity that begins in the third chapter of Genesis when we listen to somebody other than God and we become vulnerable people. We become subject to to decay and even to death. And what we said last week is that the only one who's ever, ever been able to choose vulnerability is actually the Son of God. The Son of God who enfleshes himself, who takes on our humanity, who takes on our likeness. The only one who ever really had the choice whether or not to be vulnerable was God. We we don't have that choice. We are vulnerable, susceptible to attack, to injury, to death, to temptation. So God takes on our vulnerability and lives and dwells among us. Jesus, the Messiah, he said last week that it's on the cross where the transcendent, eternal, perfect God becomes the picture of vulnerability for us, succumbing even to death. And yet it's through his death and resurrection that we are rescued from all that we were once vulnerable to. Receiving this freedom means that while you and I remain vulnerable this side of eternity. All that could once damage and destroy us has been defeated by our God who chose vulnerability for us. So what I tried to say last week is that it's the cross that that allows us to acknowledge our vulnerability and even embrace it. Embrace it because this is what God has done for us. I had a number of diff- different conversations after this sermon, and, and I was expecting that because it's hard for me to think about vulnerability as something that I don't get to choose. I want to be able to choose it, to be in control of this. And so I had a no- number of helpful, good conversations with folks from our church about whether or not we can choose and how much choice and the difference between transparency and vulnerability or openness and vulnerability and these being different things. After the service last week, and just so you know, I have permission to tell this story. After the service last week, the worship team came over to our, to our house. Maggie and I had a, had a potluck for the worship team just as a chance to thank them for all that they do, uh, which is a lot on behalf of our church. And we had a great 
few hours together. But about an hour and a half into uh, our, our, our lunch and hanging out, um, one of the young women uh, got a phone call. Now, this young woman is not a part of our church. She was a, a visitor on Sunday, but she came with one of the members of the worship team. And she got a phone call that one of her teammates, she's a college student, one of her teammates had been flying with her parents on a, on a small airplane and had crashed this, that afternoon, a, a week ago from today. And, and all three of them died in this plane crash. Everybody on board died. And she got this phone call and, um, and learned that, that, that they had all died in this crash, that there was one other sister who wasn't on the plane. She was the only surviving member now of this family and now... She's receiving this phone call that all of her immediate family has passed in this horrible accident. And, and so there's maybe 10 or so of us, the worship team, and we surrounded her very briefly. We prayed for her, and then, and then Maggie uh, drove uh, her and her friend who's on the worship team home. It was interesting to me that we had come off of this conversation because we had talked about it as a church after the sermon, about vulnerability. And here is this um, rather horrible reminder of this part of our human condition that we just don't get to choose. It's just true for us. That no matter who we are, no matter how much we protect ourselves, we remain vulnerable. I traded emails with this visitor this week, just checking in on her and her family and her friends. I, I told her that I would, I asked her if I could tell this story so that you all could be praying for this family, for this team, for this visitor to our church. Uh, and in one of her emails, she, she said this, and again, remember, I have permission to share this. She said, as someone who pushes back the idea of vulnerability and how it's been a challenge to just let go and let God do what He needs to do in this. I usually like to put a timeline on how long I can mourn, as if I am in control of how long I decide to be vulnerable, despite the fact that we are all vulnerable in this world every day, as I learned last week. God has made me okay with letting this affect my team naturally, and moving away from my desire to fix the situation. This is a painful situation. It remains very, very painful. But the the word of hope from this young woman for our church is that in acknowledging and even embracing our vulnerability in the shadow of the cross where God becomes vulnerable, there is hope. There is life. There is even peace. And there's opportunities for a church community to come around each other in that moment. Amen? To bear with each other in these moments of extreme vulnerability. And so may our example be our vulnerable Savior. Church, may our vulnerabilities to sin, to injustice, and pain be embraced even as they no longer hold ultimate power over us. May confession and forgiveness become normal acts of grace as we learn to love and encourage one another as vulnerable people. Let's pray. And so we do pray now for this surviving member of this family, God, that she would encounter your protection and love and care 
in profound ways. We ask that you would surround her with people who love you and who will not force on her answers, but who will be present in her grief. Pray that you would be forming us into a church that is secure enough in you, grounded enough in you, that we can embrace and acknowledge our vulnerabilities even as we pursue you and the healing, the protection, the love that comes along with this. And now, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Everybody get water who needed it? Yes? Okay, feel free to get up and get more if you need some. Um, Let me ask a quick question, and I'd like some actual answers on this question. Your, Your friends who are not Christians, who don't call themselves Christians, or maybe you this morning are here and wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, we're very glad that you're here, what, what do these folks think of when they think about Christians, when they think about church? What are words or adjectives do you think that are used to describe us, Christian people, the church? Words or adjectives? Hey. So this is, you know, tell me, just shout them out. What are some of the words that people might use? What's that? Hypocrisy. Thank you, Robin. Others? Judgmental. Ooh, this is depressing quick. What else? Being known for what we're against. Okay. Louder. Naive and gullible. Okay. Yikes. Hateful? Man, Carlos Dawson's been, come, been gone for three weeks. He comes back with hateful. was gone because he had a, a, a baby arrive in his household recently, so we're glad that you're back. Beautiful little daughter. Uh, what other words uh, come to mind, or you think might come to mind? Conservative. Thank you. Committed. A positive word. I'm going to think that's positive. I'm going to receive that as positive anyways. What else? Charitable? Commissioned. How about the word celebration? Celebrative, celebratory. I'm going to turn this over here so you guys get some. Is celebration something that people think of when they think about Christians? Church? I don't think so. Not my experience. I don't think that's sort of one of the, you know, the top ten words that come to mind when people think about Christians, about churches that they are aware of. We're not necessarily known for this because we're frankly not all that good at celebrating as Christians, as churches. Maybe as individuals, maybe some of us in this room are really good at celebrating, but when we come together, we kind of get this christian weird thing going on, right? And we're not great at celebrating together. But did you know that celebration is one of the ways in the scriptures that God's people are known? This begins in the Old Testament, that God's people are known for their celebration, their joy. 
Let me give you one example of this. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 22 through 26. Now think about this. The context here is tithing. I don't know what image comes to your mind when you hear tithing, offering, but it's not this. Verse 22, be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your field produces each year. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine, and oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name, so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. But if that place is too distant and you have been blessed by the Lord your God and cannot carry your tithe, because the place where the Lord will choose to put his name is so far away, then exchange your tithe for silver and take the silver with you and go to the place the Lord your God will choose." Use the silver to buy whatever you like, cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink, or anything you wish. Then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. This is a celebration. This is a party. This is God's instruction to God's people. Take the tenth of all that you have and enjoy it. Eat, feast, drink. Now go to the place, God says, where my name will dwell. This will be the city of Jerusalem. But, God says, if for some reason that's too far or you've been so blessed that you have too much to carry, it's okay, you can sell it, get some silver, and then when you get to Jerusalem, then buy whatever you want. Goats, uh, uh, cows, as much food as you want, as much drink as you want, and rejoice. When you think of God's commands, do you think of rejoice? Rejoice. Celebrate. In my presence. And you will be formed more into my image. This is not an uncommon theme as we're going to find this morning. And so if celebration is something that uh, is to be expected among us as God's people, if this is something we can expect to be present, that we can expect to be living into, and yet we're not all that good at, then I want to suggest this morning that there are at least three big ideas that we need to be able to begin embracing. And I'm trying to keep this pretty simple this morning for my own sake, but also for you know, your sake in this very toasty room. The three things that I think we need to begin grasping this morning are who we celebrate, why we celebrate, and how we celebrate. See how I'm kind of making it pretty straightforward here? Who we celebrate, uh, uh, why it is that we celebrate, and how we celebrate together. Uh, well, so we'll just start with the first one, who we celebrate. This is, not, this is not complicated. We celebrate God. Not hard, not particularly confusing. Maybe to, to some of us, when I say this, it sounds really easy or really obvious, you know, like we're, we're more advanced than this. So let me ask you, when was the last time you celebrated God? How's that how's it going? How are you doing at, at celebrating God? Maybe we think about worship when we hear this question. Does worship count as celebration? We, we, we talked about worship a few weeks ago, and we defined worship as an emotional, a physical, a sacrificial response to encountering God. And we also said that in the Scriptures, it's typically a corporate response. Yes, there is personal worship, but that is secondary. Our personal, individual worship flows out of the community encountering God together. This is this is what the scriptures seem to have in mind when the authors talk about worship. So certainly there's some overlap between worship and celebration, but I think there's important distinctions that we're going to see this morning that I hope will become clear for you. But for now, kind of help, 
helpful differentiation. When we're talking about celebration, uh, we're just talking about a party. A party thrown in response to God. Can you put that image in your mind? Partying in response to God. Now maybe it's awkward for us to consider this idea of partying and God. Do these things go together naturally in your mind? They don't for me, if I'm honest. Maybe for some of us this is because that partying, this idea of partying brings back memories of sort of the illicit days of our youth. Some of our memories of when we were partying types of people. Or maybe it was last night for some of us. Others of us, the idea of partying and God, we don't like to think about that because we're at that life stage where we have little kids and a party is like you know, Chuck E. Cheese with a room full of screaming little people who are hyped up on ice cream and birthday cake. Just me, maybe. Or, or maybe party just, you know, conjures up feelings of exclusion of not been invited to the party. Whatever the case may be, partying in God, celebrating in God, these things I don't think are necessarily a natural fit for some of us. And perhaps the greatest difficulty, the, 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 the thing that is most difficult for us to, to bring God and celebrating together is that for many of us, God is detached and distant from our actual lives, from what we do on a day-to-day basis. For many of us, God is just removed from the stuff of real life. God is spiritual. God is perfection. God is purity and celebrating, partying. This is like nitty-gritty, like human stuff, right? This is laughter and emotion and food and drink and conversation. And yet, despite maybe the difficulties of holding these things together, we find example after example of this exact thing happening in the Scriptures. I don't think we can avoid the expectation that as a living group of people, a people centered on Christ, celebration should happen regularly for us. There's these Jewish uh, Old Testament festivals that we find in the Scriptures that I think give us a helpful picture of, of what it looks like to celebrate God. To, to tap into our imaginations a little bit. I'm going to interact with a couple of these festivals in this sermon. The first one is the Festival of Tabernacles. Has anybody heard of that one before? Anybody? A couple of folks. The Festival of Tabernacles. Let me read to you from Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 13 through 15. Just as one of the places in the Old Testament that references this feast, this celebration, this festival. This is God commanding God's people. Celebrate the festival of tabernacles for seven days after you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor in your wine press. Be joyful. This is another command. Be joyful at your festival. You, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levites, the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns for seven days. See, this is a repetitive thing, seven days. When's the last time you celebrated for seven days? You see? For seven days, celebrate the festival to the Lord your God at the place the Lord will choose. For the Lord your God will bless you in all your harvest and in all the work of your hands, and your joy will be complete. Rejoice. Be joyful. Celebrate for seven days. This is a, an annual 
festival, feast, celebration in response to the harvest. This would kind of be like our Thanksgiving. You know, if Thanksgiving was seven days of partying together. This is a festival that we find in other places. is about worship, but also about rest, about good food and enjoyment of one another's company. Other places we find an interesting part of this festival. Um, it, it's also known as the, the Festival of the Booths, uh, where, where people would build little, like, huts outside of their houses. Has anybody seen this before? It's kind of like camping. So, so you would build, a, like, a, a hut outside of, like, you live in an apartment, right, Miss Dora? So you would build, a, like, a hut, like, with, like, you can tell them they built a hut before. I don't, you know, whatever you do to do that, uh, with branches and leaves and stuff. And then you would live in it for seven days. How's that sound? It sounds fun, really? I don't know if it sounds, not in this kind of weather, it doesn't sound fun. Uh, for those of us who maybe don't love camping, maybe it doesn't sound great. For others of you, it sounds really good. But this is sort of like the ancient Near East way of unplugging. Right? We talk about being unplugged, about turning off our cell phone, turning off our computer, being somewhere where there's no uh, internet access. We, want, we need to be unplugged. This was that, unplugging, getting away from sort of the day-to-day life stuff that would be in your home. And so there was all this time over these seven days for long conversations, for long meals, no real agenda. People who you hadn't seen for a while, hadn't had time for a while, would come and hang out, share stories, catch up. This is what this festival was for. God commands God's people to celebrate, to rejoice in God. This is a picture of a people who knew how to celebrate, not as a sterile religious observance, but a tangible, joyful, and intentional party. Again, for those of us who just don't have a lot of experience with this, the next question is, why? Okay, we can maybe agree, it sounds like a good Christian thing to say, we should celebrate God, like who's going to disagree with me on that, right? Why? More specifically, why do we do this? Why did God's people do this? Why did God command God's people to be intentional, set aside these festivals, these times to celebrate and rejoice? I answered this with two words that we've used in this sermon series already. We celebrate because of God's presence and because of God's action. Presence and action. And in a minute, I'm going to get some help to talk about this, to fill this in for you. You're going to hear a couple stories from two people in our church that are going to do a much better job, I think, of, of explaining why this works this way. The fact that we celebrate a God who, in very specific ways, is present to us and active in our lives. So let's talk about presence for just a second. Consider another Old Testament festival, Passover. Have you heard of Passover? Say Passover. So, so, so many of us know what Passover was. It's this time of commemorating the last of the plagues in Egypt that finally allowed God's people to escape, to be rescued from slavery. This is a people who have been in bondage, in captivity, enslaved for hundreds of years. If we put ourselves in their positions, we can maybe start to imagine the kinds of questions they are asking. Is God here? Does God care? Is God aware of our plight? Is God present? As the years go by. And then as we talked about a couple weeks ago, Moses at the edge of the wilderness, this refugee from Egypt, tending his sheep, encountering this 
shrub that's not consumed in fire even though it burns. And the presence of God is known to Moses in that moment. I have heard the cry of my people. And what does God say in that moment? God says to Moses, I have come down. I am here. I am present. I have come down. At Passover, when Jewish families sit down to an intentional, elaborate, festive meal, they are celebrating God's presence at a specific historical moment in time. Hundreds and hundreds of years later, a a young woman would again celebrate God's coming down. God's being present. The angel Gabriel greets Mary with this startling, scary greeting. You will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus, the very, very young Mary. It's frightening. She's afraid. She's nervous. She responds with a question. How will this be since I'm a virgin? And it's in this moment that that Mary learns, just like Moses before her, that in the powerful presence of God, all things are possible. There's nothing impossible in the very presence of God. And so Mary celebrates. She rejoices. Luke captures some of her, her song as a response to what God is doing in her life and in her world. She sings out, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For He has been mindful of the humble state of His servant. This little boy, of course, grows up and 30 years later, he's being known as the Messiah. And he leads his disciples into Jerusalem and and then has them sit around a table. You remember this scene. They're celebrating what? Do you remember? Passover. They're celebrating Passover together. Jesus says, go and find a place for us to to remember, to recollect what God has done. They celebrate together around this table. And at that table, breaking bread and pouring wine was the same God whose liberating presence in Egypt they were celebrating in that moment. The same God who came down to Moses had come down to those disciples in that room. Whether or not they fully grasped it, these 12 disciples were not just remembering God's presence, they were experiencing it. Knowing it as they sat with Jesus. God with us. Emmanuel, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God came down. God's presence was there. Jesus passes the bread and the cup We remember this at least monthly in our church. He instructs His followers to remember Him, to celebrate Him every time that they sit down to this meal together. And in these words, there's a hint of something profound, a reality that continues to shape us today in the death and resurrection that was just around the corner, coming just around the corner was the reality of the presence of God coming to dwell permanently among God's people. The presence of God coming to rest forever. Jesus, right before He ascends, says, I will be with you 
Always. Luke records Jesus again just before he ascends saying, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. In other words, the presence of God in Jesus is here now, forever. The Passover feast was a celebration of a moment of God's presence in Jesus. In Jesus, we now celebrate God's constant, ongoing, never-ending presence. Amen? Amen. Why can we expect celebration to define us as a church? Because of God's presence among us. I know we're like hot right now and sticky. And like the person next to you is like, they stink a little bit, you know. It's hard for us, right? This idea that God is present among us right now. Right now. Whatever is going on in our minds, however tired we are, wherever we were last night, whatever's coming this week, God is present here. So this is one of the reasons why we celebrate together. But there's another piece I want to talk about. God's action on our behalf. Just a celebration is a reminder that God is not distant nor detached. So it's also a reminder that our God is not passive. Passover was a celebration of God rescuing God's people. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 17, God gives these instructions about Passover, calling it in this, in this instance the festival of unleavened bread. He says, celebrate it because on this day I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for generations to come. Why do you celebrate this? Because I did something for you. I rescued you. I saved you. I brought you out of Egypt. I acted on your behalf. Celebrating Passover was about God's presence, but it was about God's activity, God's action as well. God had done something that was worth remembering. So again, I want to say that we find the fulfillment of Passover in Jesus as the Son of God acts definitively for us. Now maybe it doesn't appear at the cross that God is all that active. Don't be fooled. Do not be fooled by the fact that Jesus is arrested and crucified and buried. Don't don't be fooled by that, Brent. Do not be fooled when it seems like Jesus is unresponsive. The one being acted against, being passive, being defeated. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. The reason, he says, that my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one, Jesus says, takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to pick it up again. What appears passive to the world at the cross is in fact the moments of God's definitive action for us. What seems to be defeat is the hour of victory. Through the crucifixion and the resurrection, God acts, acts, Acts 
powerfully, moves miraculously, accomplishes salvation eternally, defeats sin and death permanently. Pick your combination of verb and adverb, but any way you slice it, the the, the empty cross and the vacant tomb is permanent evidence of a God who acts for you and for me. Somebody say amen. You got to help me out a little bit. It's taught up here too. So this, this is why we can celebrate, church. And, and this is why we celebrate even despite our circumstances. Esther and Candace, I'm about to call you up. Just, you know, you need like, you know, get ready. The cross is the reason that our circumstances don't define our celebration. See, we may not be slaves in Egypt, but but many of us know what it's like to call out to a God who doesn't seem to act. We, We know what it is to call out for healing and yet still to no illness. To cry out for reconciliation and yet to remain in the midst of a broken relationship. To plead, to pray for protection from violence on our streets and yet to wake up to the same news. Every day, we know what it is to, to ask for rescue, miraculous rescue from addiction, and yet to still stumble and fall. We know what it is to pray for opportunities, desire opportunities for our own children to succeed, and yet doubt whether those opportunities will ever be handed to them. Many of us know what it is to pray for companionship, lifelong companionship, and yet still go to bed lonely, feeling isolated. We know what it's like to have our circumstances overwhelm our desire to celebrate. So church, how is it that we can celebrate in the midst of suffering, in the midst of violence, in the midst of despair? How can we do this without kind of separating what's real in our lives? I want to say that we can celebrate despite our circumstances because when it appeared that their slavery would last forever, God miraculously rescued His people. I want to say that we can celebrate despite our circumstances because when a a command came out to kill all of the Jewish people, God raised up young Esther, who God uses to intervene and spare their lives. I think we have hope that we can celebrate in the midst of our circumstances because when Daniel is thrown into the pit, the lions who were supposed to destroy him couldn't even open their mouths against him. How can we celebrate when it seems that our lives are falling apart because an honest review, church, of of even one year of our lives would show the countless ways that you and I have been held together, have been sustained. We can celebrate because we remember who we were then and who we are now. We can celebrate because despite our limited vision, we have a future that is secure. And so we can celebrate despite our circumstances, not detaching our reality from our celebration. We can celebrate despite our circumstances because of a God who acts on our behalf, whether or not we can always see it or not. 
And this is one of the massive themes throughout the Scriptures. Uh, Esther, uh, Candace, come on up. One of the massive themes throughout the Scripture is that you and I forget what God has done for us. Over and over again, God has to tell God's people, remember, remember, don't forget. This is why the command to celebrate and rejoice, because we don't, we forget what we have to celebrate, to be thankful for, to rejoice in. Our celebrating is, in a sense, a discipline, because we're a forgetful people. And so I've asked Candace and Esther to remind us this morning of some of the things that we have to celebrate. Is that okay? Some of the ways that God has been present and active among us. Because some of us maybe have lost sight of that. I need you to remember today. I need you to recall as you hear these stories of prayers answered that God is present here. That God is active on your behalf. Amen? Amen. My name is Esther. When David asked me to share my uh, story, um, I wanted to be, I was like, okay, I'll do it. And then I, did, I just kind of planned on being as big as possible. Um, I realized that I didn't used to be this way, but as I grow older, I feel like I become more and more private, and I don't like to talk about my life or myself, um, don't like to share too much. And so I was like thinking, okay, I'll just be really, really vague and, and then no one will know anything but God will be praised. Um, but as I was thinking about this story, I was just like, there's no real way to properly tell it and to attribute, you know, th- th- this to God's goodness without kind of go- going into details a little bit. So... <clears throat> Here is the story with all the gory details. A few months ago, I, um, I got sick. Uh, I had a lot of pain and in my um, stomach, and I just couldn't sleep, and it was just a, an awful, awful time. Um, every night, I would just sort of try to lay on one side, and then there would be pain. I'd try to lay on the other side, and there would be pain, and it just was impossible to sleep. So um, very shortly after that... Um, I found out, uh, we did an ultrasound, and they said that, you know, I had this thing called adenomyosis, which is basically an enlarged uterus, and it just happens for no reason, and so I was like, okay, and I looked, you know, looked it up on WebMD, as you, as we always do, and um, not a good idea always, but sometimes it's informative, so anyway, I looked it up, and you know, they said there's no real cure for it except to have a hysterectomy, which is the removal of the uterus. So that's what I found out. Shortly after that, very uncharacteristically, I filled out a prayer card. I never do that. Um, But I think I was sort of at the end of my ropes, and I was like, I'll just fill it out. So I filled out a very vague prayer card. Um, And and then a week later on a Saturday, I think I kind of hit rock bottom. I was talking to my mom a little bit. And she was, you know, saying, no, you can't have a hysterectomy because she wants me to have grandkids, you know, her grandkids, obviously. But I'm like, Mom, you know, it's either I just have this horrible pain or I do this. And um, 
And then after I got off the phone with her, you know, on the phone with her, I'm very strong, very pragmatic. And then after I got off the phone with her, I just broke down and I started crying. And the thing is, I'm not a crier. I just can't cry. Like, the saddest thing will happen, the worst breakup, whatever, and I will not cry. I just, sometimes I'll force myself a little bit, like, see if you can cry a little. It doesn't work. So anyway, I just, I just kind of broke down. And so um, after that, I was like, I'm going to do the dishes so I can feel, like, some sense of accomplishment. So I did the dishes. And I came back, and I was like, all of a sudden, I was just like, I'm going to write an email to my best girlfriends. And so I wrote this email asking for prayer. And that's when things started to change. Um, a few days later, I got an MRI, um, which is just a clearer picture. And it showed that I didn't have this condition called adenomyosis, but it was actually a fibroid which is basically a tumor. Um, it's one muscle cell that kind of grows <laughs> grows exponentially, and then you just have this huge tumor. And this is gross, but this tumor was like 17 centimeters in, it, in my belly. And some people are like, where, how, how, you know, I just wore loose clothing, like I was pregnant all the time. But anyway, um, this happened. And then I went to see a lady doctor, as I like to call them, and she told me that um, basically I would need surgery to remove it and that there was a 50-50 chance that it would be a hysterectomy. So outcome was still about to be the same, you know? It was like 50-50 chance. That's pretty high, I think, for a hysterectomy. And um, in the doctor's office, two tears rolled down my cheeks. And like I said, I don't cry, so that was weird. Um, but pretty soon after that, I was like, I accept this. I accept this news. I accept this, you know, um, plan of treatment. I accepted it. This was also at around the time that I was uh, applying for a job. I'm a journalist right now, and I'm a little bit worn out, and I wanted to get full-time into teaching. I'm an adjunct right now at uh, Northwestern in Evanston, and um, I was up for a couple jobs, and so they wanted me to give two lectures and do the interviews. So I scheduled the lectures, I scheduled the surgery, um, and I tried to square things away at work frantically. And, and then I started emailing more people. I told uh, Pastor David, I told the worship team. Um, and I was just like, well, maybe, you know, they'll pray. You know, let's, let, we'll see how that goes. And then as I was asking people for prayer, I found myself... You know how sometimes, like, when someone has a problem, you kind of pray, well, God, do your will and let the person be okay with it. Like, you know, let them have peace about whatever you do. Well, when you're the one who's in the, in the situation, you don't want people to pray that for you. You want people to pray for a miracle. You know, you want people to pray with faith um, for the best outcome. And so I started to ask people um, to pray more, uh, not just my girlfriends from college and whatever, but just more. Um, one night I was trying to write my lectures uh, for the presentation. It was two days away and I was trying to write this. And something just started happening where I could not uh, accept the 50-50 chance of the hysterectomy anymore. I just didn't want to lose an organ. I just didn't. I mean, I know that people lose organs all the time. But I didn't want to, and for some reason, it just felt like um, I had to do some more research. So 
was doing more research, and I found out、um, that hysterectomy, and FYI, women out there, hysterectomy is the most useless, not useless, but unnecessary surgery. So if your doctor is telling you to have one, it's probably because they don't know any other way to fix you. <laughs> FYI,、um, you're gonna get some educational value out of this. But、um, I, I just couldn't accept the chances. So the next morning, I called my friend and I asked her. I said, "Do you think I'm just freaking out and losing, not having enough faith, or do you think this is a legitimate prodding, you know, from God or from the Holy Spirit?" And she she just said, "Esther, you." You, it's okay to freak out, and it's okay to seek a second opinion. So she said, "Why don't you call one of our friends from college, who's doctor? Who we had a lot of friends who were doctors, and so I called、uh, our friend Charlie. He's an anesthesiologist, so he's in and out of surgeries all the time. And he said、um, that my doctor, who's 32, is just way too young. You know, she just had not had enough experience doing these surgeries, and that." I needed to have someone older and more experienced, so that confirmed that this wasn't the right thing. And so,、um, Sunday night, I pulled an all-nighter and I wrote my lectures. And then,、um, while driving to Northwestern, I canceled my surgery, and I gave the first lecture.、Um, I, call, I made an appointment with a new doctor. And gave the second lecture. Came home, and then I just felt peace. Like I just felt this tremendous sense of this is this is good, you know. And and I saw the next doctor,、um, who had horrible Yelp reviews, by the way. She just had the worst bedside manner ever. And I, you know, I met her, and I just loved her. I think I just like doctors who are kind of grumpy or something. But、um, I met her, and. Basically, the treatment plan was still the same. She said, "You still need surgery, but I wouldn't say it's 50-50. I've been around the block, and I think I can do it."、Um, so, I、um, updated folks at church and my friends. And Don Washington actually, she emailed me back、um, to one of those updates, and she said, "Esther, this is evidence of God at work. You know, this is God doing something." And so、um, I think that just really struck with me, and and like I said, from that point I sort of had peace.、Um, a couple days before the surgery, I was prayed for by the prayer team. I added them to the list of you know my email list,、um, and I remember telling the prayer team that aside from、um, my parents maybe missing me, like the best outcome for me would be death. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I know that sounds morbid, but like. You know, when we die, we just we go home, and we it's there's nothing to fear. I should maybe I should have put it that way. <laughs> Clearly, it was the first time time around was a little too morbid, but、um, yeah, I just had nothing to fear, and so、um, and this you know the next best outcome would be like you know removal of the tumor without a hyster without a hysterectomy, and so、um, on surgery day I had. Zero fear, you know. I was asking the doctor, "Can you take a picture of my tumor when you take it out?"、Um, it's really gross. I'm totally making myself sound like a freak here, but、um, don't be too disturbed. Sorry about that.、Um, anyway, so I was just not not fearing anything, and you know, people all you know say to me, "You are so strong. I can't believe how strong you were. How come you didn't have any fear?" I'm not strong. I mean, when I first got news of, of this. 
condition, the first thing I did was give up. I was like, well, there goes my life. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to have to, you know, live with this for the rest of my life, and my life is going to be awful. Like, that's the kind of person I am. So I'm not a strong person, and I give up really easily. But through the prayers of the community, through my sisters and brothers, I just was able to, I was carried through the process, and I had a tremendous amount of peace. Um, the surgery went well. I did not have a hysterectomy, so it's still in there. Um, yeah, really, praise God. I, you know, I just, for the most part, I feel fine. The recovery was supposed to take four to six weeks, and I was just fine by two, two to three weeks. And um, I've been really thankful. I think um, one thing that I realize is I spend a lot of time with non-believers. Uh, most of my friends that I hang out with are non-believers, and I'm a journalist, and journalists are kind of, a, you know, cynical, um, unbelieving bunch, and they actually like to make fun of um, the fact that I'm Christian a lot. That's really fun. Um, kind of is sometimes. But anyway, um, there, it, you know, it's, not, it's not, I don't have that kind of support at work or among my friends, but um, I realized through this whole thing that no matter how many times those guys visited me, sent me gifts, cards, you know, sent me emails saying, I'm sending you positive energy. Like, the best thing that I could have gotten from anyone was prayer, you know? So I had friends that I've been friends with for 10 years, 10 plus years, um, who were praying for me. And then people at church who I've only known for months praying for me. And yet those were more valuable to me than any gift or any visit or any anything that anyone could have done. So that was of tremendous value and um, I will never I will never forget that and I really encourage everybody to ask for prayer immediately when you have a problem and um, and to ask me I mean even if I'm a stranger to you you know ask ask for prayer it's it's been uh, remarkable to see God working through that um, aside from the obvious sort of uh, miracles and, and blessings and action that God has shown, I think that the most important part of all this was getting to know God. Um, I think in the last year or two, I kind of have come to know God's love for me more. And when I would read, when I read, you know, read passages in the Bible now about his love and care, like, I wonder how I spent, you know, 20 some years of my life just reading that those verses and I, I don't know what it meant to me because I understand it better now than I ever did and through this experience when I would read Job I actually understood those verses better than I ever did so good or bad like the point is we get to know God better and we get to get closer to his heart um and see his his nearness to us um, in good times and in bad, and so that's been just so valuable to me. So, you know, learning the power of prayer and learning to that that life is just about knowing God more. I mean, those two things have been um, really amazing. Um, and if that's what it means to walk with God, then I think it's worthwhile and I think it's uh, it's great um, 
my faith, I have to let you guys know, I mean, my faith wavers every day. I don't know about you, but I have doubts every day, you know? Like every other hour I have doubts about God's very existence. Um, I wish that I could say I was beyond that. And I think maybe when I was like younger, I had better faith than I do now. But he's, he's near. And like, as I can't, you know, I can no more stop believing in him than I can stop breathing is what I'm realizing. And um, I think that's God's grace. So um, really, I don't know how to end this, but I just want to say thank you to those of you who prayed for me. Um, and I really encourage you to ask for prayer as soon as you, you have a problem. Um, and if you'd pray for my job situation, I'd really love to teach full-time. That'd be great. But just, I'm just sneaking that in there. Um, thanks for bearing with me. And, uh, yeah, God bless you. is Candace White. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> um, and for those who don't get that, John and I just got married, so I'm no longer Candace West. So um, when I was asked to give testimony, I, you know, I, it took me back to my early years in church and listening to testimonies, and I just felt like, you know what, I don't have one of those stories. I don't have, you know, the awesome story where, you know, there was something that occurred in life and, you know, I came out triumphantly. Um, and so, you know, I was asked to talk about something specific, and I thought, well, is that really one of those situations? And uh, then I thought, yes. It is, um, and thank you for asking me. Um, so my testimony is just simply that God is good and that he's faithful and ever-present. Um, I've been an educator for, uh, I think, 13 years now, and I was a classroom teacher, and I came out of the classroom, and I was a reading specialist and coach for teachers. So I'm the person who would go into classrooms and, you know, give teachers uh, assistance with whatever, their teaching practice, and I would help students. And so I was out for a long time and became kind of out of practice. Um, so I, I was, you know, always joking <laughs> with people about my job situation. I've never been out of work, praise God. And, um, and I, you know, last year I talked about a job that I would have, and I didn't have it yet. And Ramelia said, you, you are just somebody, you always get jobs. Like, what is that? And I thought about it, and you know what? I do thank God, but um, it's not even about the job. It's, it's just about how God has been present in my life in that way, and, and I just thank him. So I... Uh, was working at a school where I was the reading specialist and then there was no money left and that's just how it works in CPS. There's money and then there's no money. So you just have to roll with it. 
So I was offered a chance to go back into the classroom after eight years. And, and I thought, okay, if I have to, but, you know, I, I can do this. And so I did, and um, it was the longest, longest year of my life. Uh, it was humbling, and, um, and, I, and I just thought, I don't know how I'm going to get through this school year. Uh, there was just so much that had occurred since I had been in the classroom. Uh, even though I had been along with teachers, I wasn't doing what they were doing. And so I didn't really get it. Uh, so one thing I thought about was, um, I think this was in 2010 at New Community over at Logan Square. And Pastor Peter preached a sermon called Life Interrupted. And he talked about uh, things that happen in life where, you know, the bottom just falls out. Uh, and it could happen for a variety of reasons. It could happen, you know, for based on something that, a choice that you made or a choice that was made for you. Uh, so he talked about different ways that we can respond and the questions we ask. And so a lot of times we ask, well, why me? You know, why is this happening to me? And how long is this going to last? And so I actually thought about those. And those were the wrong questions we should be asking God. But um, I did, you know, and I, I said, you know, why now, why, why, and how long? Uh, and then it went on um, where God showed me some things, and he put people in my life. And so at this church there, you know, we're blessed to have so many educators in this church, and so I got so much encouragement here. And also at work, it's amazing that um, we had some, some teachers who were Christians, and they would walk in every now and then just say, God is good, stay encouraged, you know, just constantly encouraging me. And so I went from the why me, how long, to thank God, you know, that you're, you're present, you're always present, even in the midst of struggle, even in the midst of the hardest time you think you're not going to get through. God is right there, like Esther said, carrying you. Um, so, uh, we went, went on and, you know, people are asking, well, how's it going? I come to church and I'm like, eh, it's going, got lesson plans today, <laughs> you know, just on and on and on till the end of the school year. I just have been thinking I have got to get back to what I know best. And I didn't know if I would be able to. So, um, went on and, um, got married. And feeling like I can't go on this school year and we're getting married, we're planning, it was just too much stress. So at the end um, of the year, I heard that there, from a, a school where I wanted to work, that there was a position available and it wasn't what I wanted and I would not take it um, just, you know, based on my expertise. And so I just decided I would wait. I would just wait. And you know, God is going to provide. And so um, next to the, the, you know, after the wedding happened, it was beautiful. And then we're getting ready for the honeymoon. And I get an email from a principal who says, um, call me, go enjoy your honeymoon, but call me as soon as you get back, because I think I have a position for you. And um, I just began praising and praising God um, that I didn't give up because God never gives up on us. God is always there. And I just went on that honeymoon. We had a ball. 
and came back and was offered that position. Um, so I, I, I had another experience where we, we went over to Trinity to hear a singer called Richard Smallwood. And he talked about, you know, he gave his testimony and he talked about um, that mountaintop praise where you're just praising and praising God when things are going so well. But we got to praise him in the valley experiences too. That's where God is still with you and he's still at work. So you continue and continue to praise him. Um, he gave awesome testimony about, you know, his life and how, you know, his mom passed and things were just awful. And he was just, oh, I can't write and trying to get a song out and nothing would come. And he tried to write a song about, oh, you know, woe is me and the pity. And he said what came to him is just to praise him. And and that's a song, I don't know if you've heard, um, um, the anthem of praise and he just said I'm gonna praise him in the midst of all of this and that's what came out of it so thank you to um, all of you who were praying all of you who just even asked me how's it going and um, even today somebody asked me about a job and I was like oh I'm giving testimony about that so um, I'm just grateful even in the midst of you know some bumps even now there's question about you know whether I'm going to be released or whether I'm going to be tied to that same job but I'm just praising God wherever I am that he's going to be there right with me if I'm supposed to stay there then I'll stay there if I'm supposed to go then I'll learn what I'm supposed to go there so um thank you and God is good Urging to you, church. How do we praise? We praise regularly. We praise intentionally. We praise materially. Let me be quick so that we can worship to close out our time. We need stories like this, church, because we do forget. The reality is we have a lot to celebrate. Would you agree? We have a lot to celebrate, and yet we forget. And so we need, we need to hear stories of God's presence and God's activity on our behalf. So how do we do this? We celebrate regularly, intentionally, and materially. These Old Testament festivals, there are at least seven of them that happen throughout the year. One of those festivals was considered Sabbath. That one happened every single week. Regularity in the celebration that happened because we forget. So we're invited to celebrate regularly. The way our church does this, we have potlucks together. This is one of the ways, that sounds silly, Lauren's laughing at me right now, but it's true. It's one of the ways that we set aside time just to to have space together, to eat, to feast well together on a, on a regular basis. Our community groups do this. Our community group leaders, my challenge is to do this, to set aside time in your groups to, to celebrate, to set aside times to hear stories like this, to feast together in God's presence. This picnic that Warren was talking about, again, maybe it sounds silly to you, but this is one of the ways that we do this as a church. We set aside time to to celebrate, 
not just to hang out, not just to try to, you know, get to know each other, right, Warren, but to, but to celebrate together in tangible ways. We often, as a church, set aside extended time to celebrate the Lord's Supper together, giving over most of our service. This is one of the things that the early church used to do. They wouldn't just kind of rush through celebrating communion. They would feast together over the Lord's Supper as a way of celebrating together God's goodness. And so church, as we consider how we live into celebrating together, let's ask, how can we do this regularly? How can this be something that we regularly practice together? We do this intentionally. It's amazing how many details are included in these Old Testament festivals and celebrations, how long they were supposed to last, whether it was a local celebration or a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, what history was being remembered, all kinds of details. Why so much intentionality? Is God obsessed with detail? I don't think so. I think we must be intentional because we need to recognize that when the church celebrates together, Our celebrations are are pregnant with possibility. Let me give you some examples. When we celebrate within the community, we are reminded of what God does for us personally. We may walk in the door thinking, I've got nothing to celebrate, and then we remember, God has been good to me. When we celebrate, God reveals to us the the false gods in our lives. We're confronted with our own idolatry as we celebrate God. This is what the psalmist says. He says, I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. Before the other, quote-unquote, gods, I will sing your praise. Do you know that when we feast together in the presence of God, we're confronting our idolatry? The things that have captivated our hearts and our minds are put in their rightful place. Why so much intentionality? When we celebrate what God has done for us, we cannot help but recall our new and eternal identities in Christ. Celebration also grounds us in God's redemptive plan throughout history, throughout time and place. We are resting in the fact that salvation is God's alone to accomplish. As we celebrate God's powerful presence, we grow in our confidence in God's sovereignty. That God is in control of our lives, despite what our circumstances might say. Again, the psalmist says, the Lord does whatever pleases Him in the heavens, on the earth, in the seas, and in all their depths. Church, when we celebrate... When we celebrate together the presence of God, the activity of God, there is so much possible in that celebration. So much that is happening just below the surface. We must be intentional about this. How we celebrate together. Setting aside time to celebrate together. So we celebrate regularly, intentionally, and finally, materially. Worship team, go ahead, come back on up. Materially, what do I mean? Many of us have a very disembodied faith. We have a faith that's detached from our skin, from our lives. One of the ways that I think we we see this, that I experience this, is when we, we sing songs on Sunday mornings. We sing songs about bowing down, don't we? And how do we sing those songs? Standing up! Of course, we don't always have to bow down, but... But is this maybe indicative of the fact that for many of us, myself included, our faith is detached from how we live. 
We say things, we sing things, we express certain beliefs, and then we live in other kinds of ways. We might have long, in-depth conversations in our community groups about loving the least of these, and yet have no time in our lives to even get to know our next-door neighbors, right? This sort of disembodied faith, I think, carries over into celebration. We know about celebration in the Bible. I'm not telling you anything new this morning. But how do we typically think about it? Well, I'm celebrating in my heart. What? That's weird. Right? Like, what if somebody invited you to a party, to a celebration? This big thing happened in my life. I want everybody to come over and celebrate with me. And you got to the party, and everybody's just kind of standing there quiet with this sort of serene expression on their face. Celebrating in my heart. It's weird. It's not normal. Where's the food? Where's the drink? Where's the laughter, the conversation? That's a party. That's a celebration. Many of us, again, myself included, can have a very disembodied, detached sort of faith. So we celebrate materially, physically, tangibly. This is why those of you who love to cook, we need you in this church. I'm not just saying that. Eating food, good, well, lovingly prepared food together, this is is celebration. Those of you who are great at hospitality and hosting and creating an atmosphere of of celebration and enjoyment, we need you in this church because we celebrate materially. Not in this weird, Christian-y way I'm doing this in my heart, me and Jesus. No, no. Celebration, we can touch, we can smell celebration. We know it when we're experiencing it. When God commands us to rejoice, he's not talking about this private kind of celebration, this interior spiritual delight. We accept God's invitation to celebrate. We are accepting an invitation to a party. To a party. So like the Israelites, it's right for us to celebrate with good food, good drink, good conversations, good stories, good laughters, and good uninterrupted time. Does that sound good to anybody? Yeah. It's one of the amazing things about our God that one of His commands to us, just like Sabbath, would be rejoice, celebrate, eat well together, laugh. This is the God that we serve. God who finds ways to form us, to shape us, to to make us more into His image through parties. What if this is what people thought about Christians? We're going to sing a song here as we close, Jillian, I think. Are we singing praise to the Lord? So this is kind of an old hymn, right, Jillian? There's a couple of verses that we don't tend to sing uh, uh, anymore, and I don't think we're going to sing these today, but I wanted to read them to you. I think it's the fourth or fifth verse. It goes like this. Praise to the Lord, who when tempests their warfare are waging, who when the elements madly around thee are raging. Praise to the Lord, who biddeth 
them cease. Turneth their fury to peace. Whirlwinds and waters assuaging. And then the last, second to last verse. Praise to the Lord who when darkness of sin is abounding. Who when the godless do triumph, all virtue confounding. Praise to that Lord who sheddeth his light. Who chaseth the horrors of night. Saints with his mercy surrounding. This is why we can celebrate, church. We can celebrate the presence, the power, the activity of God in our midst, regardless of the warfare that may be waging, regardless of where sin may be abounding in our world. God is still present. Amen. God is still active. Amen. So we celebrate together. Church, it is my prayer and it is my hope that we will learn how to party together. How to celebrate together. How to have time and space together to rejoice in the presence and the action of our God. Let's pray. God, I thank You first for the testimonies that we heard this morning. Testimonies of, of Your presence in our lives. Testimonies that, like Candace said, maybe are not clear-cut, just everything was bad and everything is good now, but testimonies of Your presence in our lives, Your action on our behalf. So God, we thank You that we have reason upon reason upon reason to celebrate. And, And this not because we have our heads stuck in the sand pretending like everything is good. No. Because we serve and love a God who stepped into our vulnerabilities with us. Who stepped into the suffering and pain of the world and is near us, sustaining us, active on our behalf. So give us hearts of celebration, I pray, God. Give us the wisdom to know how to be a people who celebrates regularly, intentionally, materially, and how to do this well. May part of our witness be, Lord, that we are a people who knows how to throw a good party. We, above all people, have reason to celebrate. Let it be our witness and our testimony to our neighbors, our neighborhoods, and to your city, we pray. Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we sing? Praise the Lord example in our church, and I'm thankful for that. Deeply thankful for that. Um, so, sign up for the picnic, right, Warren? Be intentional about celebrating, church. Uh, we'll see you uh, next Sunday after church. We're just going to go right over there. We'll be there all afternoon, so if you need to go home first and come back, that's fine. I'm going to stand right here. I'm going to stand right here. I'm going to put this right. Is that okay? Right there.
So please, please be back with us next week. Invite some friends. Come for the, the picnic. We're going to celebrate together. Um, I want to I thank Jillian for being here today, for leading us in worship. Um, uh, I think uh, Kelly will be back with us next Sunday. She's been doing this uh, musical theater that's just, I got to see it last night. It's amazing. But would you pray for her over these weeks away that she be rested and rejuvenated? She comes back to lead us. Now receive the benediction. God, I pray that you would uh, send us out as people who know that we have so much to celebrate. If we've not been clear enough, God, we want this to be a place that is imminently safe for our vulnerable selves. And that means being honest about the hard things in our lives, the ugly things, as Candace said, praising you from the valley. But on the other hand, Lord, we have so much to celebrate. So give us hearts of celebration. Holy Spirit of the living God, be teaching us what it means to be a celebrating community. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. If you want to stay and worship a little bit longer, if you've been prompted to get some prayer this morning by these testimonies, come forward. Otherwise, we'll see you this week or next Sunday. Go in peace.